Welcome to the Jesus Famous Youth Teachings Podcast. Our vision is to see Jesus famous in the lives of the youth of our church. We want to see youth have opportunities for them to come to know Jesus in a complete and whole way and be united together in love, and most importantly, strengthened in the moments of discouragement. Jesus Famous Youth meets on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. and has a middle school program available on Sundays at 11 a.m. Now, let's get into our teaching. The title of this message, Don't Be Stupid, Compromise Will Kill Your Faith. I don't know how much more I could be direct, but just the way it is. So we're actually going to have Amelia come up this, mor- or this afternoon, evening, and read the section. <laughs> Amelia. She's one of our solid middle schoolers. I think you beat almost every middle school boy arm wrestling, right? Yes. Yeah. Who, who did you not beat? Seth. Seth. My son? Yes. Of course. Okay. Let's, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So hang on a second. Let these, yeah. So right on, Amelia. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, of course. Are you nervous? Uh, not really. Okay. She's going to be reading from the NIV, which these are all ESVs in the back, but I will have the words up here on the screen for you guys as we get going. So, To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who is put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Hmm. Father, we come before you and thank you for this night. Thank you for my little sister here just being brave and courageous to come up and read this scripture. God, we continue to look back on the, um, in chapter one of Revelation where we're promised that if we read this, if we read this aloud, uh, there's a blessing for us. We continue to lean into that with faith, knowing that you're a good God who who never, never forgets his promises. So tonight, I pray that your spirit would be in our midst, uh, moving in our hearts and minds as we go through this section of scripture. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is sharp uh, as any two-edged sword, and it does pierce through our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. Woohoo! Round of applause, right? All right. All right, so... As it's been over the last couple of weeks, as we've been going through the book of Revelation or the seven letters of chapter one, two, and three, uh, if you're new tonight and you haven't or you've missed one of these teachings, uh, they can be found on the Jesus Famous Youth uh, Teaching Podcast, not What's the Wi-Fi Password. Uh, that's more interviews and things like that, but it's the, the Jesus Famous Youth Teaching Podcast. So my other teachings through the, the book of Revelation can be found there uh, if you want to go back, which I encourage you to do. So... As we've been going through these letters, there's kind of a, a common theme that goes through them or a blueprint that kind of breaks these down. Uh, I haven't broken down kind of every city that, that the letters have been sent to uh, just because that's not necessarily the point. The point is that Jesus is in the midst of the city. And from every one of these letters, we can glean from uh, really what, what, 
glean from what Jesus is convicting and calling these Christians 2,000 years ago, we can glean from that and grow and mature in today's world. We can. So as we look into this, I thought it would be uh, beneficial for us to actually go into the city of Pergamos a bit, to see really what's happening there. Why are some of these things that Jesus is saying to the church in Pergamos, like why, why is he saying these things? What, what does it mean that they're in the throne room of Satan or they're, they, they're, their church is where Satan dwells? I mean, that's intense stuff. But I think we need to look a bit, a bit at the city of Pergamos just to see why this is being said. And so if you look at the city of Pergamos, here's kind of a map of those seven churches that John is, is sending these letters to. You know, it's in Asia Minor. This would be kind of considered the third section of Rome, as it were. Um, Pergamos would actually be the capital. Uh, it was actually the capital of this area of Rome for close to 300 years. Um, really think, you guys, a city that, that one, it's a capital uh, for a very long time, uh, basically an epicenter of culture and education. Uh, it had one of the greatest libraries of the ancient uh, world, which actually claims to have over 200,000 volumes in it. I mean, think about that, going to an ancient library, right? I mean, that's where you find out was Atlantis a real place and things like that. I mean, it's, it's really like, like this is, like, it, was, it would be epic to go to this city. It, you would have been, it would have been almost a, a pilgrimage for you if you were a Roman city or a citizen to go to the city of Pergamum. It was this big, big um, metropolitan type place. It was also a very religious city, extremely religious city. There were multiple uh, temples there to big gods like Athena and Dimitri and Zeus. It also had three temples dedicated to worshiping the Roman emperor at the time. So basically, within this extremely spiritual or religious city, you had these big temples to certain gods, but then you also had this, the, the worship of the Roman emperor. In, in essence, Pergamos would encompass everything it meant to be Roman, everything it meant to be secular, everything it meant to be a Roman person, a Roman citizen, you would find within Pergamos. If you were from this city and you were a Roman citizen, you were, the, you were in a sense the, the, the top of the line of, of Roman blood or, or Roman culture. Um, some 50 years actually before Pergamos ever actually came to being this capital, they were actually given the right to, to build this temple to this certain god um, of healing and knowledge. And this god... Uh, would be symbolized by a snake. It's actually where we get today in the medical field. You see the snake wrapped around the pole. Um, this, this temple was massive. And so people, because of this God of healing and knowledge, people from all over Rome would come to this place. People that were sick, people that were wounded, people that were, were really on, on death's door would come to this place, and they would, be, they would be given access to lay around the temple at nighttime to sleep. And there were all these tame snakes that would cruise around. And if one of these tame snakes like slithered over, over you or touched you, like this was like, like, oh, you will be healed, right? Like the God touched you, right? The God of health and knowledge actually touched you. And so in essence, like you, you'll be good. So when you look at this city, when you look at this, this really this, this capital city of education and culture and religion, what you have is the, this epicenter of what it means to be Roman. So in essence, you have this epicenter of what it means to be secular, which would equal what it means to be not like Christian, not like Christ. Everything that encompassed Pergamos would be in, in absolute contradiction or against what it meant to be a Christian. 
So if you were a Christian in the church of Pergamos or in, in Pergama, and you were growing up and you were maturing in this, this church within this city and you were trying to fulfill the Great Commission, which was reach out to those sick that were coming from all over the world to be healed by this, this ancient God or this false deity, or you were there to reach out to the homeless, or you were there to reach out to the, the orphaned, which there were thousands, probably millions of orphans or children without parents within the Roman culture because basically a father could, could had absolute right to kick out a son or daughter and disown in any time. You were a church that was trying to fulfill what Jesus called you to fulfill, to love the lost, the broken, the sick, the wounded. You were called to actually be a, a witness within this city, Right, to be a light, to be salt, to, to, to tell people that we're worshiping these false gods or worshiping the emperor as God. You were, you were called to be within that culture and tell them that actually Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. That these, these, these false deities, these ancient false deities that you are worshiping, they can bring you no true health or healing. They, they, they can bring you no, nothing that equals salvation. They, they can bring you no true peace, but Jesus can. And so in essence, they were in, in, in staunch contradiction to everything that Pergamos was. And Pergamos was in staunch contradiction in everything that Christ was calling the church in Pergamos to be. So you can see this is like an intense place. I, even though on the outside or from a Roman citizen, Pergamos had it all. You would want to be a, a citizen of Pergamos. You would want to go to that place. You'd want to see the marvels. But the fact is, if you were a Christian there, you were in a place of either choosing to hold fast, choosing to walk and live and love as Jesus did, or you were in a place that was willing to compromise. Man, if we compromise just a little bit, maybe we'll be accepted that much more into the city. Maybe it'll be that much easier to reach the poor. Man, God is calling us to reach these sick people. So if we just compromise a bit from our faith, maybe we can reach them more. When ultimately what we see here as Jesus calls out the church in Pergamos, we see things that he, he, he commends them for, but we also see ultimately that he calls them out for compromise. And that's why I titled this message tonight, The, the Compromising Church, or Compromising Will Kill Your Faith. See, we as Christians, we can never compromise from what Jesus calls us to be, what Jesus calls us to do. If we start compromising in those areas, just so maybe we, we gain a little bit of ground within the world, ultimately what we're doing is we're sacrificing our faith. Because what we're doing is, is we're, not, we're saying, God, the, I, can, I can get a little bit deeper in. God, I can do better. God, I can reach more people. And God is saying, no, you follow what I call you to do. You do what I, I've told you to do and have faith, and you'll reach much more than you could ever do. But see, that's the calling. And this is where, where Christ has to call out these Christians in Pergamos. So compromising. What does it mean to compromise? Have you guys ever compromised something in life? Right? You guys... No, kind of, sort of, yeah. All right, you ever lied just a little bit? All right, you compromised your truth. Maybe stolen something small. All right, you compromised your integrity. All right, maybe told a story that, that is a little bit exaggerated, right? You're compromising your integrity, your character with those people. Maybe you cheat just a little bit on a test. Maybe, maybe you tell your parents, I did that chore, but really everything just got stuffed in the closet, right? I mean, I don't know. Like, we all compromise in some ways, we compromise on I speed a little bit over the speed limit. Or, man, I can make that yellow light, and it's red, but I still made it. It's okay, right? No cop, no stop, right? No cop, no stop. Right? We all compromise in different ways. You know, you get what I'm saying? Stop sign. You should stop and then go, but if there's no cop, you don't. Anyway, all right, so 
Oh, okay. Okay, okay, Baca. So we all compromise a bit. We all compromise, right? But see, when it comes to our faith, this is where we should not compromise. When it comes to what Jesus is calling us to be as Christians, even the word Christian, which means Christ-like, we should not compromise that. That should not be a place in our life where there's any shadows or any, any place of dullness. We should be sharp. We should be rigid. We should be about Jesus as he calls us because our faith is important. Our walk with Jesus is important. So this is Senior Josh. This is Senior Josh. This is actually in my yearbook. <laughs> this is Senior Josh. I was, I was seven. Yeah. <laughs> I am very white. Um, <laughs> hence, you, you got to love the flat top, right? The flat top on little Josh wearing camo. Yeah. All right. Huh? You feel bad for Ellie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so this is Senior Josh. So if you read this, right, my favorite Bible verse was Joshua 1.9, Psalms 50.15. Um, my college plans, man, I wanted to be a missionary. I wanted to travel around the world. I played baseball. I was in yearbook, right? My heroes are Mother, Jesus, Incredible Hulk, <laughs> um, right? Ah. It was Hulk. It was all Hulk back then, sorry. Uh, and then Wolverine. So uh, favorite place on earth. I haven't been there yet, right? Um, give this good little like, uh, you know, what do I want to do or how do I want to impact the world for Jesus? I want to be Paul the Apostle. My nickname up there, Lamb Chops, right? Like, so, <laughs> all right. So listen, senior year in high school, I really made some choices to follow after Jesus. There's another picture in my yearbook. I was voted most servant-like. Um, my senior year in high school, I was, I was voted to be mo, most servant-hearted. Um, this, was, this was actually my senior year was, was a really cool year for me because, I, I, one, I took my grades more serious than I ever had before. Two, like, I, I took my faith more serious. I wanted to go to Bible college. I wanted to go to missionary. I, 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 I thought for sure I was going to be a missionary. I thought for sure I was going to travel around the world, and I was going to be, be uh, like Paul the Apostle. And of course, God had other plans, but what happened was at the end of my senior year, a lot of my friends kind of went away to college. They, they, these guys that I really loved, and we just hung out a lot, they, they kind of went away to different schools, and I, I, was, I wasn't living at home anymore. I moved out before I turned 18. I was working. I, I was always a good worker, but what I started doing in my life was I started hanging out with people that I never would have hung out before with. I started um, really, in essence, compromising my faith started doing things that I said I would never do. You know, I was the Christian kid. I had a purity ring on, right? Like, like I was, I, I had never drank. I'd never done any type of drug. Like, I was, I was, I just loved Jesus. I pranked people. I love pranking people. But the whole thing, <laughs> I love Jesus, okay? But see, as I stepped out of high school, my friends moved away. I started finding myself compromising, I moved into this house where I was renting this room with, with all these kind of older guys and girls that weren't Christian. They weren't like horrible people, but they weren't Christians. Um, I was hanging out with kids that I knew earlier on in life, but, but we never hung out through high school, but we started hanging out. And I started compromising. I started compromising who I was, my integrity, my faith, my hair. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah. Sorry, don't worry. It'll never happen again. I dyed my eyebrows. 
And then it all started, once it all started changing, I looked like a calico cat. It was horrible. It was horrible, right? So stupid. <laughs> ultimately, though, ultimately, though, guys, listen, the compromise of my life was just not worth it. I was dating this girl. Um, her name was Amanda. I'd known her in middle school and a little bit through high school, and, uh, and we started dating. And this is a girl, you guys, that I never would have dated through high school, right? I never would have pursued. I never would have ever even hung around. But for some reason, because I was compromising who God had was call, what God was calling me to be, I, I started dating her and was really like walking down a path that I never thought I would. I was saying things and doing things I never thought I would. And so, but because of my faith, it was almost like I had so much Jesus in me that I couldn't really enjoy this relationship with this girl, but now I was compromising enough that I couldn't really enjoy my relationship with Jesus. But she saw that. She knew I was a Christian. She watched me grow up. We lived in a small town. She knew who I was. She knew what my convictions were. She, she knew a lot about me. And so one night we were hanging out, and she was like, hey, I want to I wanna check out church sometime. And you know what the first thing that went to my head was like, I'm not taking a Sunday. <laughs> I don't want all these church people to see me with you. Like, I don't want to compromise in that way. They, they, like, they know me. They know me. And if they see me with you, they're going to know I'm compromising. They're going to know that I'm not walking with Jesus the way that I should. So you know what I did? I took her to a Sunday night service where like 40 people showed up, right? So I took her to a Sunday night service, and we sat in the back room, and Calvary Auburn was like a big kind of amphitheater, had like a balcony. So you kind of hide back in the corner, right? So I was hiding back in the corner with her. The, the pastor was up on stage, and, you know, she had her arm over me, and she was, like, playing with the back of my hair, and I'm like, don't touch me. Someone's going to see. Like, it's kind of like, like, just listen to the sermon. And I didn't know this, but this, this, this guy who was a leader in the youth group when I was in there, Aaron Amico, was behind me in the, in the like, lobby looking through the doors at this. And so service ended. We go walking out, and he, like, boom, grabs me. And he was like, I need to talk to him. And Amanda was like, oh, okay. And he was like, no, him. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and Aaron was just like, what are you doing, man? He's like, I know exactly what you're doing. I've been exactly where you're at. Like, you are compromising who Jesus has called you to be. This guy had watched me go through high school. He had, he had been a leader in the youth group for many years. He had gone on mission trips with me. Like, we had prayed and gone through Bible studies together. The guy had discipled me. And he's like, I know exactly what you're doing. You are compromising the man that God is calling you to be. And you guys, it was rotting away my faith. It was a rotting away who God had called me to be. And if I, had a, if I had stayed on that path, if I had said, Aaron, you know what you're talking about, I wanna do what I wanna do, and I had continued to pursue Amanda or that type of lifestyle, I would not be here today. My faith would have died. And my personal convictions or my personal stance or my personal worship of self would have taken the place of worshiping God. I'm going to change that picture now. Okay, so <laughs> the safest road to hell is the, great, the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot without sudden turning, without millstones, without signposts. You guys, the safest road to hell is an easy one. It's a slow, gradual compromise. This is the road a compromised life takes us down. It takes us away from faith. It takes us away from Jesus. It takes us away from who he's calling you to be, the purpose he has for your life. And it's a nice little gradual slope that feels good to walk down. But then you get to the bottom, you're just like, man, what did I give up? And it's really hard to get back up there. So let's dig in here. So Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. 
starts as, as every letter does, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum writes, this angel, whether he's a, it was a physical angel over the church in Pergamum or the pastor, then we get a description of Jesus in every one of these. And this description is the words of him who, was, who has the sharp two-edged sword. We see this in the first part of the vision in John chapter 1 where John sees the glorified Jesus from his mouth is protruding a double-edged sword. Basically showing us or the picture of Jesus' words being sharp. And that Jesus' words of correction to you guys and conviction will cut. See, as we read this description of Jesus, we have to understand and own as Christians that when Jesus speaks to us, his words are direct. Basically, Jesus' de depiction of speaking with a two-edged sword, it shows us a couple things. First on, it shows us that Jesus is direct when he speaks to us. Sometimes when Jesus speaks to us, we want to go and tell somebody. Like, Jesus is telling me something like, Josh, I need you to work on your pride. My mind goes to like, I got a couple kids that need to work on their pride. I need to go tell them that. And Jesus is like, no, Josh, I'm telling you to work on your pride. I'm telling you to grow in humility. Yes, you can share that with those kids, but I'm telling you. Number two, Jesus is precise when he charges or convicts us. That double-edged sword is not a sloppy claymore type weapon or big Viking ax. It is a precise weapon that is precise when he charges and convicts us. When you feel conviction, when you're sitting here in youth group and something's said or something's read and you feel that, that pull on your heartstring for, for the compromise in your life, that you're doing something outside of youth group that you wouldn't do here amongst other Christians, that is Jesus being precise with you. That's that double-edged sword just going straight to the problem. Number three, Jesus' words cut at only the rot of sin and compromise in our life. See, Jesus is such a precise swordsman. He's so, he's so knowledgeable of who you are that when he does cut, when he does convict you, he's aiming at the rot of compromise in your life. And that's what he cuts at. He doesn't sloppily cut at, at healthy things or cut at things that are growing and maturing. No, he cuts at the rot of sin and compromise in your life. See, Jesus wants that gone. The reason he's convicting you is not because he's some big bully, but because he looks at your life and he loves you and he cares for you, young Christian. And he says, because of that, I want that thing that's dangerous out of your life. That substance you're partaking in. That is dangerous. Those, those shows you're watching, the music that you're, that you're taking into your, your heart and your soul and your mind, those things will decay you. Those are compromise. I will cut those out. Number four, Jesus' words will cut away and bring us to complete healing at the same time. See, only Jesus' sword, only this double-edged sword that Jesus, that Jesus has can cut away the rot and heal at the same time. Because when we listen to him, when we walk in that conviction, we say, all right, Lord, this thing in my life I've been allowing to compromise who I am, cut it out. And as soon as we allow that, as soon as we, we go to him and say, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord, I repent, please take this thing from me. As soon as he does that and it cuts away, it also heals the wound also. Only Jesus can do that, guys. I know it's kind of weird and like spiritual, but it's just true. It's just true. Test him on it. Hebrews 4.12 actually says that, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God, you guys, is sharp. The word of God cuts through every type of thing that man can put in front of it. And yes, Jesus is pretty metal with the double-edged sword there. The, the, Arnold, the Arnold pose. He's got the Arnold pose going on. Is that supposed to be me? 
Yes, it's supposed to be me. Thank you. Um, all right. Moving on. Verse 13, guys. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Intense verse. Right? Now, what this brings to us, you guys, is with Jesus in your corner, no one can step up. When Jesus is in your corner, young Christians, no one can step up. Right? In essence, what, what he's saying here is, I know where you're at, but you don't have to, to falter. You don't have to lose faith. You don't have to compromise. Now, I want to dig into this a bit because Satan, right, Satan. I want you guys to listen to me. Come back to me, guys. Now, Satan. Now, we, we hear this word Satan, and we think red guy, horns, pitchfork, right? Now, in essence, okay, in essence, we don't know what Satan looks like. But the word Satan, you know that's not his name, right? Yeah, you knew that? You knew that? Okay. So the word Satan, actually, in the Hebrew is actually a generic noun that means accuser or adversary, okay? Uh, and is derived from the verb meaning to obstruct or oppose. So in Hebrew, the word Satan just means to oppose something, to obstruct or to be an adversary against so in essence, you, if you hate chocolate ice cream, you could be a Satan against chocolate ice cream. I don't know. You know, if you're like all in and out and no Chick-fil-A, you could be a Satan against Chick-fil-A, you know, like, because you're just an adversary, right? It's just an accuser, okay? Now, in the Greek, in the Greek, the word Satan, which actually arrives from Aramaic or Hebrew roots, actually means adversary, opponent, one who opposes another in purpose or act. So it's actually an action word. That, that it's an action state of opposing within action, within purpose, to actually act out against, all right? The fact is, this is used some 13 times in the New Testament by Jesus every time in a negative sense. Every time by a negative sense that the Satan, right, this, this creature, this created being is against. So really what we would derive from this, you guys, is that Satan's throne, which I don't necessarily believe that this is where Satan's throne is in Pergamum, now, we could, we could say, like, maybe it's because the emperor's worship was there or Zeus's temple. Maybe that's why the, the writer of Revelation is saying this. But in essence, what it is, it's, the, it's that, that in every form of the word of against or opponent of, this is the heart of Pergamos. The church was literally in a place where every essence of the word Satan applied to how much they were against their faith. And so Jesus can't help but commend them that I know where you dwell. I know that you dwell in the heart of the accuser. You dwell in the heart of those that are against your faith. You dwell in the absolute presence of those that would be against you and oppose what you believe in. And you have held fast. You've held fast to my name. You've held fast. You have not denied my faith. Even when Antipas, this guy Antipas, who this is the only mention of him that we have, History tells us he actually died in one of those iron bowls where they stuffed him in the bowl and then caught the bowl on fire underneath and he heat up slowly. Yeah, horrible. Don't look it up. Don't Google that, All right? But history tells us that that's how he died. But even seeing that type of martyr, they did not lose faith. So in essence, this heart of the accuser could not stop the church in Pergamos by, by persecution, but they could come by accusation. They come by building up opponents against it. And this is what the church was against. You guys, see, we need to be like Jesus. 
Antipas was like Jesus. The church in Pergamos, to the best of their ability, even when all was accusing and against, they chose to hold fast. Now, like in many of these letters, we see then a rebuke. We see where they were falling, where they were, were not stepping into what Jesus was calling them to do. And actually, in this sense of Pergamos, they were compromising. They were allowing things within their church, within their midst, that was compromising, actually degrading what Jesus was doing. So in verse 14, but I have a few things against you, Jesus says. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Basically, what this tells us, you guys, that allowing compromise leads to habitual sin. Now, sin is... We all sin. We all have a sin nature. But see, when we get to a point where we have a habitual sin, when there's a habit in our life that we cannot break, that is sin. That is against God. That, is against, that draws us away from the relationship that God is desiring with us. And this is, if you were to look at that habitual sin in your life, if you were to be honest, I bet you could take a, a trail map of that and go back to a place that you started compromising. You started a relationship you shouldn't have been in. You started watching things you shouldn't have watched. You started lying in certain places or telling white lies. You started, you started compromising your integrity. You started compromising your faith and who you are. And that led to this habitual sin in your life, this, in a sense, this bondage, this chain around you. And so allowing compromise leads to habitual faith, sin. So Jesus said, I have a few things against you. See, the Christians in Pergamos were rightly praised for holding fast to the name of Jesus and keeping his faith. But at the same time, their difficult environment did not excuse the few things Jesus had against them. See, what this tells us is that Jesus doesn't allow us to play the victim, guys. Circumstances in life will be hard. Things will come up. James chapter 1 tells us that Count it all joy, brother and sisters, when you encounter various kinds of trial. That various kinds of trials is small trials to big trials. And see, no matter where that trial hits you, no matter how hard it is, that doesn't give us the right to compromise. That doesn't give us the, give us the right to ultimately compromise the name of Jesus in us and who we are as Christians. Even though they were holding fast, Jesus still loves them enough to call out the rot within them. To call out, you're doing this great, but, and, and, and your right hand is doing amazing things, but your left hand, there's some gangrene. We gotta cut that off, right? We wouldn't be like, oh, that right hand is awesome. It's strong. You're doing amazing things. You got a little gangrene on that left, but that's okay because your right hand is doing really well. No, cut the gangrene off. Cut the rod off. Like that doesn't give us the right to compromise. He also says that you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam. Now, in essence, Balaam comes from the book of uh, Numbers, ch uh, chapter 22, 24, and 31. Basically, you guys, he's a prototype of corrupt teaching. He's a prototype of bad theology, corrupt teaching, teaching that leads us to compromise, teaching that leads us and actually combines sin and immorality of idolatry and sexual immorality into the church. What, really what you would have in a teacher like Balaam would just be a compromised teacher, would be a teacher that, that kind of says sin is okay, right? A little bit of sin here, a little bit of sin there, it's okay. Jesus loves everybody. Everybody's going to heaven no matter what. So, you know, go ahead, go ahead and live the way that you want to live. You do you, and, and we'll all be fine, right? Faith is just like a big salad bar. You can take a little bit here and a little bit there, and maybe you like a little bit here and there, and you know what? The salad bar is still there, and we'll, we'll all get to heaven, 
And ultimately, what it leads to is, is idolatry or worship of self. And ultimately, in, in our basis nature, it's, it's really like leads us down to sexual immorality. We see this in the world right now. We see this in the world that, that worships a sense of sexuality. That, that, that so much of, of the world that you listen to, the world that you see, it centers around sexuality, but it's all about self. It's not God's design by far, but it's the world's design. It's, it's, in a sense, it's a secular design. This is what Jesus has against the church in Pergamos. Ultimately, he also says that, that they're teaching the Nicolaitans, which is just another form of bad teaching. Okay? The Christians in Pergamos were a lot like the church in Corinth that Paul confronted in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 9. Basically, they tolerated or they accepted this bad teaching. So Jesus is saying, you, when you are accused and you are persecuted, you hold fast. When the, when, when the city of Pergamos comes at you and even kills one of you, you don't compromise. But see, you're allowing in the back door, you're allowing behind the scenes this false teaching, this compromising type teaching, and this needs to be cut out because this will corrupt the church in Pergamos from the inside out. You guys, in essence, they were in this place of, of extreme difficulty. Again, this is Satan's throne room. Everything within this city of Pergamos was against their faith. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I don't know if you go to school or maybe a job or a sport and you're like, I'm the only Christian here. And it, it, it's hard. It is. When we left from, from up north and I had a county job and we moved to Santa Cruz and I started working nights at Trader Joe's in downtown Santa Cruz, I'm pretty sure like 99.9% of sure that I was the only Christian in that crew. And it was hard nights. I'd be working there till about one in the morning stocking shelves and I just like, it was a lot. It was a lot to try to witness. It was a lot to try to, to, to be a light for the, to these men and women that had nothing to do. And if you've ever been in Santa Cruz, you can see there's a lot of people that do not like Jesus, do not like Christians. So I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but see, this doesn't give us the right to compromise, guys. We want to, we do. In essence, when we're in that hard place, there's a lot of us that want to compromise to make it a little bit easier. But see, Jesus is telling us, no, hold fast. Hold fast to your faith. Don't let compromise in, because even though it feels good right now to compromise, eventually it'll turn to rot. It'll turn to cancer, and it'll destroy you. All right, verse 16, continuing on. He, th he then says, now here's the, here's the prescription of the sin, right? Here's the prescription of you're compromising. Now, here's what you do, church. Therefore, repent. It says, therefore, repent. If not, it will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. It's a very simple prescription. Repent. Jesus isn't saying, wash your church. Like, like make sure everything's top notch. Make sure everything's clean. The worship leader has to look a certain way. The youth group has to be this kind of perfect way. Don't ever leave messes for the next day or Pastor Josh gets yelled at. Like the thing is like, it wasn't this perfect thing, but Jesus is saying, no, you have sin. You have compromise. So repent, turn from it, turn from it and come back to me. Jesus is saying, basically, if you won't turn from it, if you won't repent, I will have no choice but to step in and, and, and cut out the rot from the health, right? The church in Pergamos had such a responsibility to be light and salt within that city that Jesus had such a calling upon that church that he would be willing to step in and cut out the rot from the, from the health so that this church could continue to be light within this demonic city. And so he's calling us to repent. 
Repenting is foundational in breaking the chains of sin. So let's say you find yourself, right? You're hearing this sermon and you find yourself, as, as we're talking, all right, there's these areas in my life I'm compromising. There's some areas in my life that I have some habitual sin and it started with a compromise. It was that one time I hung out with that one person and I started partaking in that substance and now it's just a daily thing in my life. Started hanging out with this guy and, and he was cool and now we're dating and we're doing things I thought I never would do before I was married. Maybe it was, I'll just watch this one video and now it's, it's a nonstop, you can't stop watching that type of substance. The fact is, guys, wherever you find yourself out in this, Jesus is saying that breaking those chains, the first part of it is just repenting. Repenting, which means to turn from it. If this is the sin and I'm walking with it, I am dropping it and I'm turning and walking back to Jesus. That's literally what repenting means is turning from. Stop doing it, tell someone about it, and turn from it. You guys know, you guys know we're not just a bunch of glorified babysitters in here, right? All the leaders, right? Right, we're not. We're not your mamas, not daddies. Like, we're not, we're not a bunch of glorified babysitters. We are, we are Christians that are growing and maturing ourselves. We seek discipleship from older men and women. We are growing in our faith, and we put on this youth group, and we run this ministry so that you, as a young Christian, can come to us in faith and in knowing that and trust. And you can say, hey, I've been doing this for some time, and I want to stop. I'm confessing this to you so you can pray for me and hold me accountable, and I'm going to repent and move away from it. And you may sit there going, I don't know how to move away from it. But see, we're older, more mature Christians, right? <laughs> like, we just got more life experience. We can say, oh, I know how to move from that because I was in that place. I can give you some building blocks on how to move from that. You guys get the process? You get, you get what this is? And so this is what Jesus is telling the church to repent. Lastly, verse 17, guys. Verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows, oh, sorry, that no one knows except the one who receives it. You guys, breaking free from compromise is hard work. When we have compromise in our life, it is hard to break from that, but Jesus is there to equip us and strengthen us. So even in this place of, of wanting to break free from compromise, wanting to break free from sin in your life, Jesus is there for you. He's there to walk with you and give you the tools you need to work through that. So first he says, to the one who conquers. I love that about Jesus. It's, it's, he doesn't just look at the compromise in your life when you step away from that as like, oh, good job, like a little pat in the head and like, you know, way to go. No, he's like, you are conquering sin. You are conquering like hard things in your life. You're, you're, you're taking down giants, basically, and so you are a conqueror. I love how Jesus looks at us with that. And basically, Jesus is calling out the, to Christians who overcome the flesh, the world, and the devil. Think about this for a minute, you guys. When we overcome, when we conquer the flesh, when our flesh says, I want this now, Josh Shively wants to feel good, so I'm going to do this right now, when we say no to that, when the world says, no, Josh, you deserve that, don't listen to the Bible, don't listen to Jesus, don't listen to the Spirit, you deserve this, Josh, and I say no. Then ultimately, when the devil, the accuser, says, you're a piece of junk, Josh. You're, a, you're just a white trash, like, nothing kid. Like, go do that thing, because no one loves you, so you might as well do it. And I say, heck no, devil. Not today, Satan, right? Like, the fact is, when we say no to those things, Jesus says, you are conquering sin. You are conquering compromise. You're conquering habitual chains that will hold you down. So I'm talking to you, Christian. And as you conquer those things, as you walk through life saying yes to Jesus and no to the world, I will give you some of the hidden manna. 
If you remember from the Old Testament, manna literally was the bread from heaven. You know what manna means? What is it? The Hebrews walked out and went, what is it? Manna. <laughs> what is it? It's, ma- it's manna. <laughs> yeah. And it was, this, it was literally this, this sweet bread from heaven that God gave the children of Israel out in the desert. And God is saying, or Jesus is saying that when you conquer, I will fulfill you. Basically, like, I will make sure you are full. When you are fighting for me, I will sustain you. Young Christians, I don't know if you've been through a hard time in life yet. I don't know what you've been through. I know personally that when I'm going through some doozy of a time, when there's some real A-bombs dropping in my family or in my extended family or in ministry, the only way I get satisfaction, the only way that I get, I get a breath of fresh air is when I go to Jesus. When I pray and I confess and I lay down my pride and I lay down my, my arrogance and I say, Lord, I can't do this. I don't know. I don't have the answers. He fills me. He fills me with bread from heaven in essence. His word, even John chapter 6, verse 41, it's, it's literally the provision. It's God providing for you when you choose to fight. See, when we give in to the flesh, the world, and the devil, guys, Jesus says, okay, that's what you want. Go ahead. Go see if that fills you. But I'll tell you right now, young Christians, you choose the flesh, the world, the devil, and you think that's going to satisfy you, you'll end up with a mouthful of gravel at the end of the day. It's a mouthful of dry, nasty gravel that does not fulfill. But see, when we say no to those things and we conquer those things and we go to Jesus, he gives us the bread of heaven. He fills us. Then he says, I will give, you, I will give to him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. You guys, this, the white stone was usually an invitation. If you were given a white stone, it was you were invited to something important. You had access into something. You, you would show up at the door and you would pull this white stone out of your pocket. It would, it would prove that you were invited into this ceremony or into this house or into this event. You were invited into this home. And so Jesus is saying, I will give you this white stone that you were invited in and I have a calling and a purpose that is only for you. See, this new name that Jesus is talking about, you guys, see, we think sometimes, like, I'm just another Christian in a church, and that's all that I am. Have you ever stopped to think that God has a purpose and a plan for you? Just you. That, that if you don't step into that place of faith, then that thing won't get accomplished. See, God doesn't have to use us. God could snap his finger, not like Thanos, but, like, snap it in a good way, and, and literally accomplish all that he would ever want to do in, in humanity, But in God's goodness, he looks at you, his beloved creation, and he says, I have made you, I have have given you life, I have given you gifts and talents and abilities, and I have a plan and a purpose. I have a new name for you that you can accomplish, that you can do, that, that I've given you the abilities and the tools, the passions, the desire to do this thing. That is so cool, guys. Next time you think you're just a part of of the body of Christ and you're just kind of another Christian, Remember how, how specific and uniquely you are made. Remember that God has a plan for you. He does, I promise you. So ultimately, guys, with these applications, as we finish this up, first off, be humble in your daily life and allow the Lord room to convict you, okay? We see, we don't like conviction. We don't like those heartstrings pulled and, and told like what we're doing is wrong. But see, I would encourage you, if this is like convicting you a bit and that you're feeling some of those like compromises in your life, Take 30 minutes tomorrow morning. Take 10 minutes tomorrow morning and say, God, all right, I'm gonna give you 10 minutes. My phone's off, my music's off. I'm just sitting here. I know you're always with me, God, but I'm usually somewhere else. So right now, I give you this. 
and see what he convicts you of. See what he puts on your heart. And then, then basically, all right, Lord, what do I do with that? Give him some room. Number two, when, hard, when times are hard, remember who your God is and what he has accomplished. Right? No matter what trial you come in, 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 in against, no matter what fight of life, remember who your God is. That he has fought for you and he's accomplished so much for you. Number three, start evaluating and destroying the areas of compromise in your life. See, young Christians, if you, if you listen to this sermon, if you listen to the Church of Pergamos and the, the, the letter to them, then you should walk out of here know, like, starting to evaluate and recognize those places of compromise in your life. And there should be a conviction of, like, I want those things gone. I don't want that in my life anymore because eventually that will lead to a, lack, a destroying of my faith and my relationship with Jesus. Number four, when sin is revealed in your life, make the choice to repent and turn from that sin. Basically, within that conviction, within that sin being revealed, make the choice. Turn from it. Drop it and walk the other way. And lastly, lean on Jesus in every and all situation, guys. Okay? Ultimately, the church in Pergamos, like, even though they were doing so good in certain areas, Jesus is saying, all right, repent from these other things. Turn back to me. Lean on me. And we'll get through this. We'll get through the fight in the city of Pergamos. We'll get through the fight in this place where Satan dwells. In this city where they are accusing and are against everything that I stand for, everything you stand for as a Christian, we'll get through this, guys. Okay? So, Father, we just thank you again for your grace and your mercy in this time. Uh, I just thank you for these little brothers and sisters, and I ask that you would continue to, to grow them and mature them, equip them to fight the good fight and walk through this life serving you and pursuing you. And uh, just bless small group time. Let it just be just an awesome time with you, Lord. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you at Youth Group on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. If you'd like more information about JFY or have a question, reach out to us at joshuas at calvary.com or DM us on Instagram at ymcalvary.